in a day of changes. Just so you know, when I stepped outside this morning, it was 65 degrees. Obviously, I hadn't watched the forecast because I didn't realize that by the afternoon, things were going to change so abruptly. So I uh, left the campus of Clear Creek Bible College when I finished up, and it was still really nice outside, got in the car, had to meet with somebody in London between Corbin and London. I started to think, you know what? It feels like it's getting chilly. And I stepped out in London, and it was not chilly. It was just flat-out cold. And I got on up here, and it felt even colder. But here we are. So, you know, if anybody wants to lend me a coat for the ride home, I'll be glad to relieve you of that burden. Uh, It is good for us to come together on a Wednesday night and uh, have moments of fellowship and praise the Lord in song, singing great hymn of our faith, trust and obey, and then to wrap up this study that we've been in for several weeks. I'm excited about what we're going to start next Wednesday night. Uh, Tonight we'll finish up our thoughts about how we got the Bible Uh, really not talking about how we got the Bible. We finished that last time, but I want to show you some things about modern translations uh, just to help you be an informed person when you choose which translation of Scripture is right for you, and we'll talk all about that in just a few moments. But then next week, I'm going to start a Wednesday night series on things that the Bible does not say, things that you might think are in Scripture, things you've been led to believe are in Scripture, things that you have said the Bible says this or that, and the Bible doesn't actually say this or that. So we're going to have, I hope, a good time and a learning time when we start with all of that next week. Who has good news to share tonight? Yes, Hank. Hank can see. You, uh, you've had it on both sides, right, brother? And you're, you're doing well for the wear. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who else? Yes, Jeff. Amen. Amen. Okay. Praise God for that good report. Who else? Somebody else. 
All right, I'll give you this one. We, uh, we reached the midpoint of the semester today. Today was the end of eight weeks, and I don't have anybody failing one of my classes. And that's always a good thing. So we're thankful for that. Who else? Anybody else? Amen. What a blessing. Generational stuff is good stuff, isn't it? Thank God for that. Anybody else? Yes, Mary Knight. Yes, so good to see her tonight. Amen. Anyone else? All right, let's uh, have some just quiet time this evening as we lift up some prayers from our hearts to the Lord. Isn't it a blessing? Talking about all the things for which we're thankful. Isn't it a blessing that God knows us so well that he hears us even when we pray from our hearts, even things that we don't even know how to say? Uh, The Spirit of God translates that to him And that's just a real blessing tonight. So as we pray quietly, just thank God for the blessing of who he is and how strong and powerful he is. Uh, We begin our prayer time with adoration. So just take a few moments and praise and glorify God for who he is. When we lift up God, we see our own inadequacies and our faults, sometimes our horrible failures, and we just need to take moments from time to time to confess. So tonight, if you need to confess, would you take a moment to do that to the Lord? Scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So if we don't have anything else to be thankful for tonight, let's thank him for his mercy. But I'm sure there are other things in your heart that you just want to hold up to him and tell him thanks for his watch care, for his sustenance, for his provision.
As we close out this time of prayer, let's take our needs to the Lord, needs that we have, our family members have, neighbors have. Let's hold them up to the Lord knowing that he hears us and he'll do what's best. Father, we do praise you tonight because you are a holy and wonderful God. You're a good God. Father, we don't have the wherewithal to think of all of our blessings. They're innumerable. Father, thank you for being so wonderfully good to us. Lord, in your goodness, you've made the provision for us to come tonight and fellowship, to worship to, Lord, uh, think about your word and the perfect treasure that it is. Thank you, Father, that not only you gave it to men of old through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, but, Father, thank you that they wrote it, that it's been preserved, that it's been passed down all these generations of time. And here we are, Lord, in this current time, in this modern day, And we still have a beautiful revelation, the gift of your word. And so we praise you for that tonight. Father, we ask you that you help us not to just be people who admire your word, but people who live it. God, I pray that uh, where your word directs us to think differently, we would think differently. Where it directs us to act differently, Lord, we would do that. I pray, Father, that we would be always people who pursue living our faith. God, open our eyes, our hearts, make these moments meaningful for us tonight as we devote ourselves to you and your word. In Christ's name, and amen. We have, for a number of weeks, been talking about how we got the Bible. We started all the way back. Uh, at the gift of the Old Testament and how God uh, illuminated the hearts of Old Testament people under the Old Covenant to write down His Word, how it was written primarily in Hebrew, but also a derivative of the Hebrew language that's called Aramaic. We talked about those things, then we made our way into the New Testament and how God gave us that revelation in actually the Greek language. Why was that important? Do you remember? Why was it important that the Word of God at that particular time, after the Old Testament, after those intertestamental years, going into the Roman-controlled years, why was it important that Scripture was written in Greek? I'm I'm hearing all kinds of things, and I'm hearing it in stereo. Uh, the, The bottom line is it was a common language, right? And people all over uh, the empire, that part of the world, if they wanted to participate in trade, if they wanted to be informed, etc., 
They knew the Greek language. They could speak it. They could read it. They could write in it. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Part of the fullness of time was a uniformity of language so that these gospel stories could be written, the history of the early church in the book of Acts so that Luke could write that. Apostle Paul and John and Peter could write their letters in a language that could be sent out. People could read it and they could copy it and send it on to another place. So that's why that was important. Last week, uh, we talked about the reason why some translations have variances. We were made aware that when great translations like the King James Bible were translated, they had a certain volume of Greek material from which they could translate the New Testament. And then in years after that, there were earlier manuscripts that were found. And the the bottom line is uh, there may be a few variances from here to there in some of the modern translations, but the wholeness, the story of Scripture never changes, and that's because of God's watch care on the Word. So tonight I want us to, to wrap up as we think about English Bible translations today. Now, I have sized you up. In other words... Uh, in the first few times when I came to preach, you know, I just watched people as you would leave the sanctuary, uh, as you'd walk around the church building, and, and I look at the spines of your Bible because, you know, the spine, the backside of your Bible usually has some kind of marking or some type of writing on there that identifies which translation of Scripture you use. And here's what I discovered, that people who come to Bible Baptist Church use a lot of different translations of Scripture. So tonight, we're going to wade into that just a little bit. I'm going to help you think through the different styles of translations that will present to you all the different modern translations. I just said all. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to go through... I guess, the most popular ones and show you which vein of translation that it comes from. So there are two big styles of translation. And before I introduce you to those styles, I wanted to take you to a verse of Scripture that we all know. Everybody knows John 3.16. Most of us have memorized John 3.16 from the King James translation of Scripture. But I wanted to give it to you in the Greek, and I'm not going to read the Greek, and I'm not going to press you into the Greek or anything like that, but I wanted you to see what a literal translation of a well-known verse looks like and sounds like. And the point that I'm trying to make is this. A lot of people... Uh, talk about wanting a or an absolutely literal 
translation of Scripture. And, and what I would tell you is, really, in the English language, there's no such thing. Because if you were to translate John 3.16 from the Greek, word for word, and that's what I've done for you, the black is the Greek, the red below it is the word or words that are translated out of the Greek word on top. This is what John 3.16 would sound like in the English based on a woodenly literal translation. And let me just ask you, does it sound like the way you've memorized it? So for loved the God, the world, that the Son, the His only, He gave that whoever the believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, those last few words are very close to what we've memorized, right? But the first several words, as you'll see, if you want to talk about an absolutely literal translation, word for word translation of the Greek text, that's what John 3.16 would sound like. So I just wanted to show you that just to say to you tonight, even if we prefer, and many of us do, let me just raise my hand from the outset and say, I prefer the most literal translation in the English language that I can get my hands on, i.e., the King James Bible, the English Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, the New American Standard. All of those are very literal, almost word for word. But even those translations are not direct parallels of the Greek language. Does that make sense to you? All right, just wanted you to see that. But there are two major styles. There are a few subsets within each of these, but I'm just going to give you the major things to keep in mind. There are two major styles of translation. One is, again, the one that I would prefer, which is a literal equivalence. Now, again, we don't really need to use the terminology literal as in word for word, because if that's what we're talking about, what I showed you from John 3.16, from the Greek down to the English, that's the woodenly literal, all right? But a literal equivalence, for the most part, is a word for word translation providing each word of the original, whether it's the Hebrew or the Greek, with an equivalent English word. Now, let me say this. If you're making notes or anything like that, you could almost put an asterisk on that word equivalent. I'll demonstrate for you in a moment. Every now and then, especially in the Greek, there's a Greek word for which there's not an absolute equivalent in the English language, and I'll show that to you in a moment. But that's what we mean by a literal equivalence. For the most part, word for word, straight out of the Hebrew and out of the Greek 
keeping in mind that the word order is changed a little bit so that, again, we can quote John 3.16 and say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we're not saying, So for love the God, the world, that the Son, the his only. You get what I'm saying, right? All right. So that's the first style of translation from the original language into the English, a literal equivalence. The other one would be what a lot of people call a dynamic equivalence. Rather than shooting for word for word, it's more of a thought for thought translation. So in a literal equivalence, the effort is as much as possible to translate word for word. In a dynamic equivalence, the effort is not so much toward a word for word, but a thought for thought. Now I'm going to illustrate that for you. I'm going to give you again John 3.16 out of the New King James Version. And of course that is... Uh, a word for word, a literal equivalence. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's a good example of what we would call a literal equivalence when it comes to the translation of scripture. Now let me give you an example of a dynamic equivalence where we're not shooting for word for word, but thought for thought. The contemporary English version is a dynamic equivalent translation of Scripture. And you can see here how those translators deal with John 3.16. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. So you can see that the thought for thought in the contemporary English version is there, but you can also see some not so subtle differences, right? Uh, you, You can tell the difference in something that is a more word-for-word type translation, that literal equivalence, than the dynamic equivalence where the translators are shooting for thought for thought. Now, we'll get into this in a few moments. What would you just, you know, being one who's, who's looking what I'm putting up on the screen tonight, uh, just off of your cuff, what would you think would be uh, some benefits to the more word-for-word or literal equivalence translation of Scripture? What would be the benefits of that? That would be, I would think that would be more like the dynamic equivalent, young readers. Yeah, you know, if you're working with something thought-for-thought, I could see how young readers may be able to process something like that a little more. Uh, 
the, the trouble that you get into, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, when, when you're working with thought for thought, by its very nature, there, there is more of a stretch there, okay? By its very nature, because there has to be somebody that's saying, well, here's what I'm reading in the Greek, and this is the way that I would personally express it in my modern English language. There could be more room for error. So let's just kind of get those things out on the table, and you can be thinking through them as we move along tonight. So the thing I want you to see is that primarily, and again, there are subsets under number one and number two here, but primarily you have some versions of Scripture, some translations that are more literally equivalent and some that are more dynamically equivalent. I want to give you some of the most popular examples of each, just so when you go to the bookstore or you begin to fish around on Amazon, now that's the bookstore most of us go to. Kenny and I were talking before the service tonight. Both of us have ordered new paper copies of Scripture. He got his from CBD and I got mine from Amazon. Uh, we don't go to Lifeway in Richmond anymore because it's closed down. Uh, there's still one, you know, Heritage over in Somerset. There are a few brick and mortar stores anymore. But when we start fishing around on the internet trying to order a, a new paper copy of Scripture and we look at all the different things that are available, I just want you to have a reference for those that would be the more literal equivalences and those that are more the dynamic equivalences. Let me say this, and I'll illustrate this for you in a moment. All dynamic equivalences are not bad. Okay, let me just throw that out there. You know, so I'm not trying to convince you tonight that if, if you have a dynamic, dynamic equivalent translation of Scripture that you need to light a fire with it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying to you whatsoever, but I want you to understand some of the more popular ones that would be examples of each. Literal equivalents. Obviously, the King James translation of Scripture. The New King James translation. The English Standard, the ESV, is a good example of that. Probably the most woodenly literal translation into English language is the New American Standard. The 1995 update to the New American Standard is a very good, very reliable, very trustworthy version of translated scripture. And then the Christian Standard, which would be newer than any of those, it used to be the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. They dropped the Holman part, now just the Christian Standard. Each of those would be in the vein of a literal equivalent. Then examples of a more dynamic equivalent 
translation of Scripture would be obviously the New Living Translation, Contemporary English Translation, the Good News Translation, and then, of course, the New International Version. I will say this very quickly in parentheses. The most recent updated version of the NIV, I would definitely stay away from because I think they take way too many things um, into thought in translating thought to thought as they move away from a more literally equivalent type of translation. So, let me present to you a, a potential pitfall of the dynamic equivalent translations. The method can lead to interpretive decisions that can sometimes miss the point of the original text. And I'm going to show you a big example of that. I told you a moment ago, one of the most literal translations of Scripture is the New American Standard. And we love 2 Corinthians 5.8. That's one of the verses that we often quote at a funeral. It's one of the verses that uh, is often something that brings us a lot of comfort and hope as believers when a family member, a good friend has gone on to be with the Lord's where Paul writes and he says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, how is one absent from the body and at home with the Lord? Say it again. Death. Death. Uh, or, you know, there. In the economy of God, at some point, uh, Christ will come again and he will claim his people unto himself. And at that point, we'll be in the body and still be with the Lord, but we'll be glorified. All right? So one way or the other, all of God's saints, the good news is all of his saints will go to be with him. Some do it earlier through death. Others, you know, if the second coming is near unto us, others will go that way. But the bottom line is we will all one day be with the Lord. But the comfort here is what Paul's revealing in Scripture, that when we lay the body of a loved one to rest in the ground, that person is not in the ground. Because the spirit, the soul, has slipped away from the body, the body has perished, the body has died, but the real person is more alive than he or she has ever been before. They're at home with the Lord. That's a beautiful, comforting thought to those of us who have loved ones who have gone on before. Well, didn't really mean to get into uh, the theology of the text, but it's important that you see what it ought to say from a good translation of Scripture. To be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. In the New Living Translation of Scripture, which is, again, a dynamic equivalent, a more thought-for-thought type translation, 
you still have a good rendering of what the Apostle Paul is teaching in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are fully confident and would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, when you compare the NASB, which is, again, more of the word-for-word type translation to the NLT, which is more of the thought-for-thought, what you can see here is that really the point is the same when you look at both verses. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. There are some dynamic equivalent versions of Scripture that are helpful to us. New Living Translation being one of them. But there is another version called The Voice. And and listen to how the translators of The Voice translate that same verse. There is no doubt that we live with a daring passion. Well, I told you that next week we're going to start a series And we're going to look at some things that the Bible doesn't say. Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, the Bible does not say that. That that is not what Paul writes to the church at Corinth that we have enumerated as 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. There is no doubt that we live with a daring passion, but in the end... We prefer to be gone from this body so that we can be at home with the Lord. Now, the latter part of that quote-unquote translated verse sort of gets at the idea there, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with the end. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't in the same place that he was when he wrote 2 Timothy. So when Paul writes 2 Timothy, he's writing his very last letter. And you know, he's talking about the fact that he has fought the good fight. He has kept the faith. He has finished his race. And there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on that day, not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Paul's not in the same place in 2 Corinthians when he writes this as he is when he writes 2 Timothy. So that little phrase, but in the end, you know, it really doesn't have to do with the end. It's just the way we ought to live our lives. You see, the desire of our hearts ought to always be to be with the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you that we have to hate life. And I'm not telling you that we should all have a will to die right now. Let me just tell you this. I don't want to die right now. Now, some of you may want to die right now. We'll counsel with you after the service. That, that's not where I am right now. But I can tell you this. If it's God's will for me, then I know he's got everything else worked out here. And in my heart of hearts... I would rather right now be with Jesus. I'm not saying I have a will to die, but I'm saying that what I know is this, not because of who I am, but because of what 
God has done through Jesus Christ, I know that to be absent from my body is to be at home with the Lord. So it's not a matter uh, of, of being at the end of a thought or at the end of life. It's the way I live my life right now. So I just wanted you to see a more word-for-word translation, a helpful dynamic equivalent translation, and then an unhelpful dynamic equivalent translation. I hope this helps you a little bit. So there are potential pitfalls. And that's when, in the view of being more thought for thought, the thought gets way you know, away from the thought of the biblical author, all right? Now, I've given you a pitfall. Let me show you just very quickly how a good, notice I've got in quotations there, how a good dynamic equivalent can be helpful. So one of the most tricky words in the Greek language shows up in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. And what I'm going to show you is the word-for-word translators cannot find agreement when they try to translate Philippians 4, verse 5. So in the King James Bible, the first part of Philippians 4, verse 5, simply says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now let's stop there for a moment. If, if, if what you have is that one translation there, what do you think that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he expresses that in Philippians 4 verse 5? Let your moderation be known unto all men. What does that mean to you? What would that mean to you? Let your moderation, key is the word moderation. That's the word we're working with here. What does that mean to you? Let your moderation. Yes, okay. What translation is that? Yeah, it it, it has a further explanation under, so that is a revision. That's good. But if we look at the word moderation, we're, we're thinking about drink, we're thinking about food, we're th- thinking about any type of fleshly activity to moderate yourself. To moderate yourself with food means that you don't overeat. To moderate yourself with other things means that you don't overindulge in whatever that is. So let your moderation be known unto all men. Here's what the translators of the New King James do with that same word. They say, let your gentleness be known to all men. To me, gentleness, you can make a stretch and you can can figure out how gentleness could be associated with moderation but they are, not the, they are not synonyms. Moderation and gentleness are two different words. The Christian Standard Bible, let your graciousness be known to everyone. 
The New American Standard Bible says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The English Standard says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone or be known to everyone. Here's what I want you to see. Each one of those are word-for-word type translations, okay? They're not dynamic equivalent. It's more word-for-word type translations. But the problem is this. The Greek word that Paul uses when he writes Philippians 4-5 is a Greek word that's epiakase. And the thing is that there is not an absolute equivalent for that word in the English language. Okay? The attempt of a word-for-word translation is to take the Greek word or the Hebrew word and let's find an equivalent English word. So when you're looking at one, two, three, four, five word-for-word translations of Scripture and they each use something a little different What does that tell you? That tells you there's not a good English equivalent. Here's where a dynamic equivalent can be helpful because this really expresses the thought of the Apostle Paul when he writes this verse. There the translators say, let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. So sometimes... A dynamic equivalent can be helpful to you when you're trying to interpret a verse. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking at me like calves looking at a new gate. Sometimes it takes a few English words to translate one Greek word. Um... This is a spot where, you know, yes, I would prefer to have my more word-for-word translation, but it's helpful for me if I'm doing a very serious Bible study of this particular verse of Scripture, and I want to inform myself because I'm getting ready to stand before you, and I'm going to preach this verse of Scripture One of the primary rules of biblical interpretation, here's the big word for that, hermeneutics, trying to interpret an ancient word into a modern context. One of the primary rules is simply this, Scripture cannot mean today what it did not mean then. Does that make sense? Scripture cannot mean today what it did not mean then. In other words, what if I, being preacher, Bible teacher, were preaching Philippians 4 verse 5, and, you know, I honed in on that word moderation, and I just preached the stars down about not being drunk. Well, it's a good thing that you don't get drunk. Is that right? The Bible is again drunkenness. 
That's the way Mamaw Taylor would say, Bible's again that. So I could, you know, I, I could take that from that particular translation of Scripture, and, I, man, I could, I could plow the ground deeply trying to explain to you what moderation means. But, but if that is the direction I went with trying to explain moderation, I'm preaching to you something that Paul did not mean when he wrote that. And so the goal of the Bible teacher, the preacher, the interpreter, your goal as someone who reads Scripture for yourself, remember what we've talked about. We believe in the priesthood of believers. And that simply means that you have access to Scripture. You ought to be reading Scripture for yourself. You ought to be interpreting and understanding Scripture for yourself. So whether you're the preacher or the Bible teacher, or if you're just doing it in your personal life, you don't want to misapply based on a misinterpretation of Scripture. So do you see how a good dynamic equivalent could be helpful to you? Um, If you're reading that, and by the way, the context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 is, is all about living a life of joy. And so if you're in the midst of that, and you're trying to understand, and you've got your King James, your new King James, maybe you're on the internet and you're looking it up in other good word-for-word type translations, and you're saying, somebody help me here. These things are all different, or it seems different to me. That's where a good, trustworthy dynamic equivalent can be your friend because the way it's translated there in the New Living Translation is a really, really good effort at what Paul is saying when he uses the Greek term case. Let everybody see that you're considerate in all that you do. In other words, in the context of living a joyful life, your life will be much more joyful to you if you're a considerate person, if you're a nice person, if you're a person that doesn't get angry at others all the time, if you're a person that can put somebody else's wants and wishes above your own, you'll live a more joyful life. So that is a way that a dynamic equivalent can be Helpful. Are there any questions about this? Yes, Charles. I'm afraid to ask it because it might. I've got two questions. All right. But the first one is, and I'm just playing the devil's advocate. You play on, brother. I agree with you 100%. Yes, sir. So I'm the preacher preaching against moderation. Don't drink. Yeah. Okay? And you come challenged by interpretation of Scripture. Yeah. Yes. He's applying it now in modern translate in in his modern day, talking about feeding the pastors. Correct. In that Old Testament scripture wasn't written for that. Correct. But he's using it he's using, you know, don't muzzle the ox as an illustration. Because in the Old Testament where scripture says that, it, it's it's literal about taking care of your animals. 
You know, if you're a person that plows the ground with an ox, don't deprive your ox of, of something to eat. You're not being a good person if you do that. And so Paul there is reaching back and bringing that out as, again, an illustration. So he's using it for an illustrative purpose. And the purpose is, just like you wouldn't muzzle your ox, you ought not starve your preacher. (laughs) I think I told you all one time, I used that uh, back when we first started this study, I I showed you that particular verse. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, hey, carry on. Um, you know, I, I, I preached that once at a, um, at, at a church, the, the pastor wanted me to come in and, and do some things for him and for the church. And I decided that I would entitle that message, uh, out of Timothy, uh, feed the ox, but he didn't appreciate that much, Charles. No, you had another one. Now, we're about to land the plane, but go ahead. So, going back to, you referred to the New American Standard, the 95 edition, as being the most most, most word for word. It is the most woodenly word for word. Okay. Yeah. So, even in a word for word translation, because there is a new New American Standard. The 95, yeah. Okay. That's, you know, not as accurate as that. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, you're not? I'm not. I'm really not. Well, my question was based upon that even, even in the word-for-word tra- word translations, there can, could be um, challenges with future interpretation. There always can be. There absolutely always can be. And, um, you know, that's why there, there needs to be a fluid, what I'd say, what I'd call a fluid process where people that are devoting their lives to study the ancient languages are continuing to research. Um, you, you know, you... you uh, you have to test all things. And I will say this, more than anything else, the, the word is spiritual in nature. And I think you ought to pray about it. I think you ought to pray, you know, Lord, lead me to the translation that will help me understand your word the most. You know? Um, so... With that being said, I'm going to give you just a few tips. I would encourage you to always have a literal equivalence as your primary Bible. That's just my encouragement to you. Um, King James, obviously, New King James, the 95 revision, and I'm intrigued, Charles. I've got to look and see what... What's more recent with the NASB than the 95? I'm not familiar with what it might be. The, the ESV, uh, the CSB, 
all of those are more literal equivalent translations of scriptures. But I would say to you, have a trustworthy dynamic equivalence. And I like the New Living Translation, by the way. If you want to have uh, for devotional reading, uh, for clarity in your study, if you want to have a dynamic equivalent version, uh, the New Living Translation, uh, I, I know, I actually know the general editor that worked on that. He was one of my professors, his wife and my his daughter and my wife, very close friends in each other's weddings. I know the team that worked on that. And I know that they worked diligently to present a dynamic equivalence that is thought for thought, but doesn't do a Hail Mary like I showed you earlier. So that, that's just from me to you, but I would encourage you uh, for your primary Bible, the Bible you study, the, the Bible that, that uh, you read for doctrine, for reproof, I'm always going to be someone who prefers uh, the, the literal above the dynamic equivalent, although I do see that a dynamic equivalent can absolutely be helpful. Brother Darren. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and I'm like you, I would refer to the KJV here and go ahead and say, well, he was hanged. But it is confusing to me how they can come up and say that he was impaled by a sharp pole. That's where you need to examine what the Hebrew says. And I, I don't know that one well enough to. Yeah, and I, I mean to catch no, that's fine. That's fine. But that's, it goes along with exactly what you're talking about. Yes, sir. Any other questions? Because we are about out of time. Look, folks, let me be very clear about this. My intention is not to persuade you to uh, jettison one for the other, um, but I I want you to be well informed and uh, be able to engage dialogue because, again, we live in a world that's becoming more and more post-Christian, and I think we have to be able to, to talk to people intelligently and not just say, well, this is my blind faith, but this is why I choose to uh, read the Bible, the translation that I choose to, to read. Here's how I think we got it. So again, I hope this hasn't been confusing, but I hope it's been helpful. All right. We will move from there to our prayer list tonight. I hope that you have a copy.